Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. In verse number 18. I know you're wondering what I'm doing. I'm trying to set my clock where I know what time to quit. <laughs> because if I don't if I don't give myself some kind of time limit, I just like to teach and I get started and it's just hard for me to quit. My wife does a pretty good job of reminding me sometimes, but uh, she may forget too. You just never know. Amen. <clears throat> All right, and they called them and commanded them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. I, I wonder why. I wonder why it's always about the name. The devil just can't stand. He, he just He's just so frustrated, so angry about the name of Jesus being so powerful. And the persecution in the church always came because of the name. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge you. For we cannot but speak the things we have seen and heard so when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. Boy, it's a good thing when good things are happening, powerful things are happening in the church, and uh, people are being healed. Great things are happening in the presence of God. I pray, I pray every time I enter into this building, I pray, God, let this, when we have prayer time during our church services, let, let your healing be there. Uh, I don't want us to just get to doing that just as something else to do in our services. I want the power of God to be here, and I want healing to be here. I want... Moves of God like we had Sunday morning during our worship service. It just broke out. People began to pray and weep and and uh, some things happened in the spirit there Sunday. And I want that to happen. I don't want us to ever get so uh, familiar and common with God and just church, just taking it for granted, coming because we just feel like we have to. I want to come with expectancy. I want to come with expectancy. Amen. Now, I'm going to be talking to you about tonight because you see in this passage of Scripture, these men weren't doing anything wrong. They weren't breaking any laws at all. They, they were just doing right. Just doing right. And if we'll do right, we'll end up being right. Everybody say, do right to be right. 
And that's what I'm talking to you about tonight. Do right and you'll be right. Do wrong and you'll be wrong. Come on, turn to somebody and look them in the eye and say, if you'll do right, you'll be right. If you'll do right, you'll be right. Why do we have so much wrong in our world? Because people are not doing right. <laughs> Duh, it's a no-brainer, isn't it? That's not real deep. That's not something that the average person cannot understand. If you do right, you're going to be right. And if you do wrong, you're going to be wrong. Well, that's an awesome lesson that I taught y'all tonight. Let's bow our heads and be dismissed. You just heard one of the best messages you'll ever hear. <laughs> you heard a good message just now. Do right and you'll be right. Do wrong and you'll be wrong. Y'all didn't know I could come up with such great teaching, did you? Well, the Lord can use, he can do wonders. He can do wonderful things and miraculous. Everybody say, God bless the word of God. You can be seated. Peter and the other apostles were thrown into prison for preaching and teaching Jesus Christ. After being humiliated, and condemned by the religious leaders, they were commanded not to preach or teach in Jesus' name any longer. Do you remember what they did when they released them? And they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer for his name. Now that's not what the normal Pentecostal does. The normal Pentecostal, when they're persecuted, when they get in trouble, you know, then they go around and gripe and complain. Now, this was the second time that they came before the council. There were several times that they were taken. One time, they was actually beaten. And each time, they were told not to preach or teach. But yet, the Bible says that daily in the temple... And in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. They made up their mind they were going to do right. And when you do right, you're going to be right. Peter and the disciples with him decided that it was worth the effort. It was worth the scolding. It was worth the imprisonment to do right because they knew that God could always make a way where there seemeth no way. In fact, this passage of Scripture is talking about Peter uh, and John being thrown in prison and locked behind bars and the church began to pray and God sent an earthquake and shook that place. He sent a shaking and the doors opened up. Oh, that was Paul that happened to. I better be careful. I'm preaching false doctrine here. The angel of the Lord went and woke Peter up and said, Come on, boy, you're getting out of here. And he started uh, walking in automatic doors the first time they were ever used in the history of mankind. They started opening up as he walked out. 
and he went and knocked on the doors of the church people and said, I'm here, y'all stop praying, God's delivering. They didn't even believe it was him. They got all confused. But these men decided that they were going to do right. For so many people, praise and thanksgiving is usually the first thing to go out the window when things are not going so good in our lives. When we get hit by unfair criticism, undeserved condemnation, or ungodly behavior, don't try to get even or get back. A lot of people think just do right and be right. And that's what I think. Whether we are in the public arena or simply just private individuals, none of us like to be criticized. None of us like to be wrongly accused. Am I, am I telling the truth? None of us like it when we feel we're getting unfair treatment. Our natural reaction to unfair treatment is to defend ourselves. I want to take care of that. I want to take care of me. I want to protect me. We're real concerned about ourselves. Can you say amen? amen. Other people might give us this advice. Don't get mad. Just get even. Now that's not what Pentecostals ought to do. Bible says Jesus told us to get sin or get uh, angry and sin not. You may get a little angry. You may have some misfortunate things come your way. You may have people to do you wrong. It's all right to get mad. Just don't try to get even. You let God take care of that. There's a better way to do right when you feel you've been done wrong. If you're here tonight with deep wounds in your spirit or in your heart or in your soul, if you have had to endure mistreatment, you can easily become bitter because of those things. Hostile and unpleasant things may have happened to you, but long-term bitterness affects us more than the one we're angry towards. When you get bitterness in your heart, honey, it's hurting you more than it's hurting anybody else. A lot of times we think that bitterness is justifiable because we were hurt so bad and we were done so wrong and so we justify holding bitterness in our heart. But it is never going to work out to your good. You're never going to be right doing wrong. Here's a quote. Bitterness, bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. I got bitterness and I'm holding stuff in my heart against Brother Jonah and I'm going to drink poison and he's going to die. It don't work that way. You're the one that's going to die. You're the one that's going to suffer from it. Old Brother Jonah's just going to keep on smiling. 
We may not like doing right, but it's always right to do right. It's always the right thing to do. Doing right when you've been done wrong is one thing that you and I have to have to apply and think about and work out in our lives. I'm going to give you five things that you do. Number one, doing right when you've been done wrong. Everybody say, I want to do right even when I've been done wrong. There was a man went into the preaching ministry one time and he worked for seven years and then he resigned to go back to medical school and become a doctor. He came to the conclusion that people don't want spiritual health. They just want to feel good. He said that after working as a physician for seven years, so he was, he was already a preacher for seven years, now he's a physician for seven years, but he again resigned, and this time he decided to go to law school and become an attorney. He said people don't want spiritual help. They don't even want physical help. They just want to get even. And I guess there's a lot of people feel that way. But I've been raised in the church. I've always heard what the Bible says about the way we treat each other and forgive each other. And I, I just tell you, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like the lawyer. I don't want to be like the doctor. I don't even want to be like that preacher because he had it all wrong. I want to be a forgiving guy. I want to forgive people that have done me wrong. I like the story of a pastor who received an anonymous letter. Now, I don't read anonymous letters. I've gotten some uh, in the mail. And when I open it up, first thing I do is look and see if they signed it or who it's from. If it didn't have an address, I throw it in the trash. I don't read it. You say, well, I want to know what they said. I don't. I don't have no desire to know what somebody says if they don't have the guts to put their name on it. So I just throw anonymous letters in the trash. I really do. And when he opened up this letter, it just contained a sheet of white paper and written on it in capital letters was the word fool. The next Sunday service when he got ready to speak to the congregation, he said, I've gotten many notes without signatures before, but this is the first time in my life I've got a letter from someone who forgot to write the note. All they put was their name. They signed their name fool. So whoever you were that sent it, you need to put the note with it next time. I thought that was a good response on that, you know. Psalms 26, 1 and 2, David was talking to the Lord. And he said, Lord, judge me, O God, or O Lord, for I have walked in mine integrity. I have trusted also in the Lord. Therefore, I shall not slide. Now, I don't know if he was talking about backsliding, slipping, sliding down a hill. I kind of feel like he was referring to backsliding. Examine me, he said, O Lord, 
and prove me, try my reins and my heart. David was a godly man. He made some mistakes like all human beings do. While his enemies were godless, David trusted in the Lord. They are described in this psalm as deceitful, hypocritical, and wicked evildoers. These men were publicly slandering David. Some commentators suggest that this psalm occurred when Absalom was trying to seize the throne by spreading lies against his father. So David starts off this psalm with a strong emotional plea. He asked God to vindicate him. He asked God to give him justice and defend his reputation. And despite the daily grind of mistreatment that he was experiencing, David was determined to keep on trusting the Lord. And he would not let others trip him up by their false accusations. And so David asked the Lord in this psalm three things. He said, test me. Try me and examine me. Folks, if we can be honest with the Lord, we'll do right. If you want to do right, ask the Lord to trust or to test you and try you and examine you. So when he said, test me, according to the Hebrew, this means to smelt or refine and test like gold and precious metals. It was the idea of being able to remove the dross and the impurities that God was, or David was asking God to do in his life. The second thing he said was, Lord, try me. This word describes an intensive and rigorous examination so that the real condition of the heart might be exposed. Now, when you're doing wrong, you don't want to be exposed. When we're sneaking around doing things, we don't want to get caught. When we're not honest, we don't want the truth to come out. But David was putting all of those things aside and there was no consideration there because he truly wanted God to try him. He wanted God to test him and he wanted God to examine him. The word examine means to scrutinize, to discreet, to pour over carefully and in detail. This is one detailed examination of the inner person that David was asking God to do. David is using this negative mistreatment that was, uh, he was up against with his friends and his kingdom and his enemies as a positive learning experience. He will view it as an opportunity 
for spiritual growth and maturity. And boy, what a lesson that we can learn from that. When things are not going good, don't go knock somebody down. Let the Lord work in you and teach you a lesson and let your uh, opportunities of growth and maturity be noticed. He tells us that when you are wrong, talk to God about it. That's what David said. Ask him specifically to examine your life, your motives, and your character. Ask him to undertake an intensive, in-depth investigation of the condition of your heart. Ask him to refine you and melt you, mold you, and remove the dross and impurities that this mistreatment has brought to the surface of your life. A family won free, uh, four free goldfish at the local fair. And you know, sometimes when you win stuff, it costs you more money than they're worth. Now, what would four goldfish cost you, you know? But they won four goldfish at the fair. And the next day, Dad went to buy an aquarium. When he saw the price of the new aquariums, he was horrified. But he was thinking about what he should do, and he looked and he spotted a 10-gallon tank complete with gravel and filter right at the back of the store, and he walked over there and noticed that there, it was just a fraction of the cost of a brand-new tank so he said, I want that, and he bought it. The, the tank was very dirty and filled with green mold. But a few hours of cleaning it with soap and water, it looked as good as new. The four new fish were uh, put into their new home, and boy, it looked good. Then one of the fish died. The next day, a second fish died, and that same evening, the third goldfish go died. And before the fourth one died, Dad called a friend of his that had goldfish for many years, and it didn't take long for him to discover the problem. Dad had washed the tank with soap and didn't get it all out, and his enthusiastic efforts had destroyed the very lives he was trying to protect. Sometimes in our zeal to clean up our own lives and the lives of others, we unfortunately use spiritual killer soap. If we're not careful, we think we're doing right and we can do more damage than good because of the lack of wisdom. If you don't pray for wisdom already in your daily prayer, you need to add wisdom to your request for God. If you're not praying for wisdom, pastor recommends that you pray, God, please baptize me with wisdom. Give me wisdom to know how to come in and to go out. Give me wisdom in my decision making and my advice. 
Give me wisdom in everything I do, God, because if you don't pray for wisdom, you're probably going to find yourself doing wrong. Condemnation and criticism and anger and fits of timber, a temper and all kind of other things that could come against us, jealousy and you just name it. Sometimes we think we're doing right. We think we can fix people. But our harsh self-righteous treatment is more than a lot of people can bear. So we think we're doing right. We think we've got the answers. And you know, it's easy for me to fix y'all. My biggest problem is fixing me. I can tell y'all how to live for God. Brother Nick, I got all the answers to all your problems. I'm pastor. I got the word of God. I got experience. And, and I can help you. But you got to listen. You got to have the want to. But that's not my biggest challenge. My biggest challenge is your pastor. Keeping me right. Keeping my thoughts right. Keeping my spirit right. Keeping my attitude right. Keeping my forgiveness right. If I don't work on it on a daily basis, I'm going to find myself in trouble. I know pastors that have pastored churches that have got bitterness in their hearts. I don't see how they can even preach, but they do. It bleeds through a lot of times too. Amen. God help me never to get bitterness. So how do we do right when we've been wronged? It happens to all of us one time or another in our lives. We know we didn't do anything wrong. We were innocent in the situation. We didn't provoke or incite it. But someone did us wrong. Now if I were to have y'all to raise your hands, how many of you have ever been wrong? Probably every hand would be raised in this building. Some of you could tell your stories and we'd all be crying. We'd be patting you on the back and saying, my Lord, I can't believe that happened to you. And we can just get to feeling sorry for you and pat you on the back. But honey, you know, how long has it been? How long has it been that you've been having this thing? Because I'm going to tell you something. If you're harboring it and hanging on to it, it's been too long. <laughs> it's been way too long. And the only way that we can have freedom and victory and joy and happiness in our lives is to forgive it and let it go. Let it go. Well, you just don't understand. It hurt. Well, you think that's lack of joy and lack of happiness doesn't hurt? It hurts me when I don't have joy. It hurts me when I don't feel good in my spirit. It hurts me when, when I'm angry. There are plenty of times that we deserve what we get. 
Everybody say, there have been times that I've deserved what I got. We were out of line. There have been times we've been out of control. Been out of order. But other times, we were innocent. We were doing nothing wrong. And we were blindsided by the actions of another person against us. We didn't do anything. I'm innocent as I can be. And they said this, they did this, they lied. They had anger, they hurt. It, it was all unfair. We know we didn't deserve it, but it came nevertheless. Maybe not just once, maybe numerous times from many directions and maybe even from the same dude. Same old person might have hurt you numerous times. And Jesus said, well, if they hurt you numerous times, don't forgive them. You know what he said, Brother Nick? He said, if they hurt you once, turn the other cheek and give them a second shot. But after that, the Lord said, get them back. Come on, you know that's what it said. That's what people do. Surely the Lord wouldn't make it so hard on us to, you know, to, to, to not retaliate and get them back. Surely he didn't expect me to say, Brother Diaz, you did me wrong, but I forgive you. And I do, Brother Diaz. I really do. You shouldn't have done it. But you did it. And because you did it, it hurt me. I never dreamed you would have done what you did. Don't ask him what he did. It's too embarrassing. I don't want y'all to know. That guy's not as nice as you think he is. There's a mean streak in him. Ask his wife. She'll tell you. But Brother Diaz, all your meanness and all that, he's going, cut, cut, cut. <laughs> no, he said, I'm going to cut your throat. I'm going to cut your throat. <laughs> so you're not forgiving me, huh? That's the Mexican coming out, that knife. That knife there, you know. All right, let me make this straight. I'm only using you as an example. <laughs> Brother Diaz hadn't done anything. He's squeaky clean. He is, he is about as clean as I know of anybody. You don't get much cleaner than him. He's getting nervous over there. We're wrong by things ranging from being overlooked for the job that I wanted or the position being wrongfully judged by a critical eye. So the question is, how can I do right when I've been done so wrong? I think somebody wrote a song about that. It wasn't Lanny Wolf. It was some country dude. 
And more specifically, what does the Bible say about doing right when I've been done wrong? Let me give you five practical tips on how to do right when you're being done wrong. Number one, understand you don't have to do something wrong to be wronged. You don't have to do anything wrong to be wronged. You can be wronged by somebody just because they're ignorant, just because they're carnal. Sometimes we say to ourselves, well, maybe I deserved what happened to me. Maybe I was the cause. I guess I'm just getting what I deserve. This could be the case. But many times it's not. The Bible is full of examples of people who did nothing wrong. Yet they were wronged by other people. Job, it wasn't because he did something wrong. It was because he did most things right that he got in trouble. He was doing so good that God said, Why don't you consider my servant Job, devil? Why don't you look at him a little while? And the devil said, All right, well, let me turn up the heat a little bit. The Lord said, All right, just don't kill him. You can do what you want to do. So sometimes you can be Brother Gandy's best saint. And the heat gets turned on. And you ought to be excited about that because God trusts you enough to allow the devil to attack you. Because I'm going to tell you, whether you believe it or not, the devil doesn't have as much power as we give him credit for. I've said this before and I'll say it again. A lot of people fear the devil's going to kill them. Honey, if he could kill you, all of us would be dead right now. If the devil could kill us, you'd be dead. <laughs> he can't do it. And that's what's so frustrating to him. He knows God has his hand on us. Joseph is another good example. He didn't do anything wrong. He's just a dreamer. He told his brothers about his dream and all of a sudden a spirit of jealousy got on him. Sometimes doing right can get you in trouble. But it's always right to do right anyway. Jesus, believe it or not, great example. He was the best example of right living that ever existed on this earth. He was tempted in all points as you and I are tempted, yet without sin. The second thing, consider the source. Consider the source. When you get done wrong, consider the source. Satan, number one, I don't believe that Satan is behind every situation that happens. I really don't. I believe sometimes we give him too much credit, but I do understand that the Bible says in John 10, 10, in the NIV, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. He's up to no good in every one of our lives. So you got to consider him as being one of the reasons that you will be wrong. Another thing 
Another source, you want to hear it? Stupid people. I'm blunt. I said it. It's blunt. But it's the truth. There are some stupid people in this world. If you don't believe it, just start watching the news a little while. And you'll see how stupid people are. They love to cause trouble. They stir up problems and basically give you and me a bad time. But what's this? Don't think they are just stupid toward you. They cause problems with everybody. Everywhere they go. It's not just you. You ought to feel better already knowing that when stupid people do stupid things against you, it's not your fault. They cause problems at school. They gripe and complain in the restaurants. They get mad when they don't get their way. They always have a complaint. They gripe. They're sarcastic. They give sarcastic marks about, remarks about everything. And besides all that, many of them are just plain weird. So consider the source. The next thing is watch what you say. Everybody say, watch what I say. When someone has wronged you, the immediate reaction is to want to tell them off. Let them have a piece of your mind. I've been tempted myself to give people a piece of my mind, but my wife said, don't do that. You don't have a lot to give away. Again, learn from examples in the Bible. The Bible says Jesus never opened his mouth before his accusers. Acts 8.32 in the NIV, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter and a lamb before the shearer in silent. He did not open his mouth. That's hard. Everybody say, that's hard to be quiet when you're being wronged. It's very difficult. Jesus knew he was right. He knew they were wrong. But he didn't have to try and prove it. He knew that in the end, <laughs> y'all thought I was kidding, didn't you? In the end, you think I'm going to stop when I get through? I will. Sometimes it's better to just keep your mouth shut and not say a word. Would you stay it? What a good statement to end with, huh? 